Finally feeling nice and warm. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Episode 203 of the Internet's Finest Argentine Football Podcast. I'm Sam Kenny, and for the first time since my gas was cut off about a month and a half ago, I've spent today wearing a t-shirt in my own living room, because it's not been freezing bloody cold in here today for a change. It's very nice indeed. Um, I'm joined today by, from, in an anti-clockwise direction, uh, by Andres Bruckner. Hello, how are you? Very well, thanks, Andres. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. Super. Uh, this but, is the kind of banter you yeah, 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 I am throughout the podcast. Don't get this on other podcasts. <laughs> bye, English Dan. Hello and welcome. And by Francisco Albaixa. Good to be here again. I think I need a nick- nickname by now. No? Listeners should send in suggested nicknames for Fran, and we should use them next time he's on. And he might regret asking that, possibly. We shall see. Um, we are sponsored by the Argentina Independent, who are a fine source of English language articles on Argentina and across Latin America. They do news, they do current affairs, they do <coughs> cultural whatnots and bits and pieces and photo essays and all kinds of other stuff, and they're really, really good. You can read them free of charge on argentinaindependent.com or follow them on Twitter at Argentina Indy. That's Argentina, I-N-D-Y, and we thank them very much indeed for the booze that they pay for each week. Without further ado, um, we have no league uh, results to to uh, review over the weekend, of course, because there was no Primera this weekend just gone. There was lower division football, but um, we shall bypass that for the moment at least and get straight down to the um, <clears throat> performances, if that's the right word, of the Argentine national team in the opening two World Cup qualifiers. In case you missed it, they drew nil-nil with Paraguay in Asuncion last night and that followed um, a 2-0 defeat at home to Ecuador on Thursday of last week. Where do we start with this uh, dissection, gentlemen? Well, totally contrary results to the ones we, we had previewed. They were, weren't they? Yeah. I remember so, pointing out that Argentina English uh, deserves some credit for had to take care of Montero and Valencia. And they singularly failed to do so. Yeah. I mean, part of the, the fault for that was, of course, the two fullbacks who were very exper- inexperienced. And uh, one of them, Rancalia, is not really an international class fullback by any uh, different definition of the term. But it was a team effort. It takes the whole team to, to play that badly. And they managed it. Um, it was a completely fair result. I don't think anyone can say that Ecuador didn't deserve to win. Uh, indeed, they could um, could have won by a couple more, and they had some very good chances in the first half. And yeah, Argentina, especially after Agüero went off, just looked completely lost. It's probably the worst they've played in a uh, in a proper match, let's say, since the 
the Germany World Cup, World Cup quarterfinal, the the four 0 defeat. I'd say. I think there's a, a couple of crucial things to consider here. There's uh, in the last two major tournaments, Argentina reached the final, lost both, and inevitably there's going to be a, a come down in morale in, in motivation after having reached final stages of two major tournaments and, and failing and the second uh, there's three points the second most important thing is that Messi was missing Messi has become the, the heart and soul of Argentina since that uh, 2014 World Cup final He's the and with the lack of a classic number ten, he's the he's the playmaker. Regardless of whether he's he's more of a goal scorer, uh, he's known as more of a goal scorer. He he does uh, you know pull the strings on on Argentina's play in general. And the third and final factor is that Martino just just got it wrong. He got it wrong in the last uh, two matches against Ecuador and against Paraguay. Tevez is not a number nine. You can't insist on playing him there because he's just lost, and and that was shown in the second half when he just started playing as he does in Boca, you know, further back, and uh, and there was just lack of any cohesion or or notions or you know ideas in in Argentina's play. It was very just charge forward with our fast players and hope for the best. And what sorry, what what a paradox that uh, Messi is missing and. National team is Messi right now. That's yeah. the thing, isn't it? Because uh, somebody sitting at this table um, wrote a, a rather good article uh, the other day after the um, Ecuador defeat, in which he pointed out, and somebody is English down, um, in which he pointed out that uh, the makeup of Argentina's midfield is is very different to the makeup of Barcelona's midfield. As in um, Barcelona have one, <laughs> and yes. Argentina don't. Well, indeed, yeah, Barcelona have, have got a. I, th- I think it would perhaps be a bit unfair to say Argentina don't have a midfield, but Barcelona's is much more balanced, it's much yeah. more geared, and, and this was your point, obviously, to, well, you know this already, Dan, but I'm saying it for the, the benefit of our listeners. I've probably forgotten already, so if you can, um, if you can <laughs> run me through it again. True. Uh, your, your point was, uh, since you've forgotten, that um, Barcelona's midfield was much more geared up to, to getting the best out of Messi and to ensuring that Messi's getting much more of the ball in the final third and, and in the opposition half and not having to drop so deep. To, to pick the ball up, Fran just made the point that that, that Messi is um, is dictating the play for Argentina, and really that's not what they want him to do. No, ideally to get the best out of Messi, you have him finishing the moves off, but you have somebody in midfield who can carry the ball forward from midfield and provide that service, such as say Javier Pastore, mm-hmm. who I think was the hands one. down the worst player. Worst in the player first match. Yeah, yeah, and he might as well not have been there at all. Absolutely, he barely touched the ball. Absent. Just absent, and you know, he wasn't taken to which World Cup was he not? Uh, Maradona didn't take him, correct? No, Maradona, Maradona took him. Sabella didn't. Oh, Sabella yeah. didn't yeah. take him, and you can kind of understand why because he just uh, when he puts on the the Argentina shirt, he's just a completely different player. It's it's the classic cliche of, at least in Spanish, the weight of a shirt. You know, his form can be very uh, you know top notch at Paris Saint-Germain or, or Palermo but as soon as he puts on the uh, Argentina shirt he just he just stops being the the, the playmaker that, that we, we've seen him uh, able to be yeah I think with Pastore we've probably seen him 
at his best for Argentina on one or two occasions. I remember he had a, a very good game in the Copa America semi-finals, I want to say, when when he teamed up with Messi in that 6-1 win against Paraguay. Mm, 2011? Uh, 2000, oh, just now. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, sorry. And that, you know, that encouraged us all. We thought, ah, this is the Pastore with with what to see and you could see without Messi I think more than just being a case of him being a bad player or feeling the weight of the shirt he was being asked to do something that that he doesn't do that and he didn't have that midfielder backing him up he he was kind of a playmaker but not quite a playmaker it was just a very um, very confused uh, tactical setup but surely, ex- expecting a creative player like that who clearly enjoys being on the ball, expecting mm. him to try and get on the ball from time to time is, is mm. the minimum requirement. And he yes, but I can't remember his touch. I think he, I can remember one touch yeah. that he had against. No, he, he played badly completely. I'm sure, he had but that one touch. But the problem went um, beyond him for me. Uh, you had people like Mas, Correa, uh, Di Maria, and then Lavesi just steaming past all the time and trying to get it up the pitch as fast as possible and I saw an interesting tweet from um, from Diego La Torre who said after the game um, that speed is is based on play like the quickest players uh, are actually quicker with their brains than with their feet mm. it's very true I mean you can have people in in Argentina who are very fast but they didn't have kind of the presence the the vision to, to make that count should we should we go over the lineup again in both matches because yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to, to have you know, in mind what the at least the lineup of the midfield was. It was in the number five against Ecuador. It was Machirano, uh, Villa, in Pastore. between and Pastore in a three, mm-hmm. and against last night it was uh, Mascherano, Cranavita as a midfield two, and then uh, across the it was a four-two-three-one, and the three were uh, Pastore in the middle. Lavezzi was on the, the left, left, and, and Di Maria, Maria was on right. the right, which is something else that drove me a bit crazy because Di Maria is possibly the most left-footed player you're ever going to see, and he just was completely ineffective. He didn't manage to cut across. I think what what probably summed up the entire double header was a free kick that Argentina had right in the last minute against Paraguay uh, on the left flank. Di Maria got up. It was you know. The very last opportunity Argentina were going to have to get three points from either of their games, and he just he hit it straight at the heel of of the one man wall. You're like, oh shit, let's go home. <laughs> yes, but I think that the problem is apart from yes, the the, the Pastor is one of the uh, uh, hottest points, and he might be cold chested, <laughs> but uh, who? But as he's a playmaker as. as you have been saying, but uh, who carries the ball to, or who play, mm. plays the ball to? Uh, yeah. Playmaker means to try to build the play and then yeah. to to make make something different, and, and he has no company as, no. as as Di Maria run run away all the time, and Lavezzi and, and, and Di Maria and Lavezzi are not uh, a natural uh, midfielders like Tevez is not a natural number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were several players that yeah. weren't playing as they had at their best position, possible positions. And completely, you talk about a playmaker and perhaps over the last 30 years, Argentina have been a bit sport with their playmakers because they've had a, a set of these people who can actually make something out of nothing. If you look at the likes of Maradona or Borchini, 
Riquelme or Ortega, I mean, they're talking about, you know, uh, once in a decade players who could actually just uh, pull, pull something out of the air. Mm. Pastore's not that kind of player, he's much more of a modern player who, you know, he's got that physical side, he runs, and, but you can't say he's got that spark that those players have. Very few have. So I don't think you should be expecting him to pull off things that we used to see from Riquelme or Maradona. That's just oh, not I'm fair. Not it's a team effort. Really. I'm not demanding that of him, but I'd mm. like to see him show a bit of hunger and actually come to the ball now and then. Like I said, mm. I just it's not that I think everything he did was was bad when he got the ball. It's that I genuinely struggle to remember him getting the ball. No, no, he, he was dreadful. He was he dreadful. But you do have to, to split the responsibility, I think. Something that I think was a recurrent... Uh, theme, if you will, in both matches against Ecuador and Paraguay was that the midfielders, I'm not really referring to Lavesi or Di Maria right now, I'm talking about Pastore, maybe Mascherano did a bit, but they just wouldn't come down for the, for the center halves to lay off the ball and start creating the play from the back of the pitch, from, from, from the, the back, yeah. Which so basically, yeah. That, that just made uh, Otamendi and Funes Mori and Mas, and who am I missing? And Zabaleta. And Zabaleta, you know, just kick it up front. Long balls that were usually intercepted and very rarely precise. Yeah, you're closing the door to any, any creative idea because you're throwing But they the just, they, honest, they literally would not come close to Tamendi and Funes Mori. You know, at least show themselves. Whereas Mascherano as I think we've mentioned, uh, particularly after the, the friendlies in the United States recently, tends to perhaps drop, if anything, a bit too deep and, mm. and end up just having the centre-backs that he can pass it to himself and then tell them who to move it on to. Um, which I don't say as a criticism of Mascherano as such, because that's the, the role that he's always played. He's always been more of a destroyer. But it, it's why we said after the friendlies that possibly, you know, just maybe... The idea of playing him in his current club role mm-hmm. um, and, and moving him to centre back might not be a bad thing. He seems yeah. to look forward a lot more when he's playing at centre back mm-hmm. compared with midfield. Yeah, um, and now you've got someone and like Cranavita to come in. Cranavita in, yeah. in that role personally, and, and Cranavita last night was one of the few bright points for Argentina. Yeah. I thought since we're mentioning bright points, um, well, Mascherano as well. He was yeah. flawless defensively. Yeah, I mean, cutting exactly out that, balls, that biting kind of it. Two-man midfield axis yeah. between them seemed. It, it, it did not look like Kranovita was playing his first match alongside Mascherano. No. Um, and not to turn this Funes too much into a uh, river love fest, but yeah, Funes Mari had, had a good game. He had a good game, yeah. He's, uh, the last few friendlies that he's appeared in, he did have a couple of uh, blunders, but he was very solid last night. Yeah. Um, pretty much everybody else, I mean, well, Romero didn't have an awful lot to do last night. and. Yeah. Are we criticising Romero at all for either of Ecuador's goals on Thursday? No, he didn't really, there were no huge fumbles, so I, I guess you're not going to say that he played well, but he didn't have an awful lot to do apart from pick the ball out the net twice, yeah. and then last night, nothing really no, very he, much. he had a couple of good saves. He stopped a couple mm. last night. A couple yeah. of good saves. And Lavesi as well was, was bright in parts, without, you know, with this kind of but this is lack of threat on goal which typifies Lovetsi exactly. which makes him a strange striker Argentina had two sh- two chances fairly close to half time last night against um, against Paraguay both fell to Lovetsi both are from sort of narrowish and rapidly narrowing angles after I think both after Tevez played a bit right 
Um, one was after Tevez. One was definitely after Tevez. Yeah. The other one might have been Pastore, possibly. Um, and until, I mean, first of all, when Ezequiel Lavezzi is, is, is getting your very best chances, there's trouble. But also when Javier Mascherano is the recipient of your best chance of the lot against uh, Ecuador, as he was, popping up 10 yards out in the middle of goal, precisely the kind of ball that Tevez should have been running on for. Um, and obviously scuffing it at the goalkeeper there's something wrong there I mean mm. Mascherano also had the only Argentina shot on target until the first of those Lovetsi mm. efforts last night and that was from what 30 yards out mm. very easily held um, Tevez something's did, not right Tevez did miss uh, a free header in mm. front of goal mm. but I don't know if the ball got you know hit him a bit too high it was a bit too high for him. Yeah, it was. It was obviously an awkward height for him and, and tricky to, to get around. I mean, that really should have been a goal, but I think more than anything, because it should have been a better cross from Di Maria um, than, than anything else. After after Paraguay gave the ball away. No, but what you can we, say about the game last night is, say Argentina had, had won against Ecuador and won well, you wouldn't have been unhappy with a point in Asuncion, I think. No, but Argentina didn't win against Ecuador. That's the problem. In In a different situation, you think, ah, pointing against Paraguay away, it's not too bad. But that first game's already put pressure. And now you've got two games which are going to be... That was what's happening. No no South American team has ever qualified for the World Cup after losing a home match, uh, after losing their very first match at home. Mm. And And one South American team ever has qualified for a World Cup um, under the current system at least the current qualification system after picking up one point from their opening two matches that was Brazil in qualifying for USA 94 so obviously you know, they went on to win the World Cup so maybe it's not all that disastrous after all no it's in a way that guys the history of football is, is, is rife with stories of managers plus since then come there's more pressure. places like South America are going to Oh, absolutely! Look, at least I'm, four, I'm not saying, already five teams I'm not nah. saying for one second that I think Argentina's position at the moment is in danger it would be silly to say that because they're Argentina and it's South American qualifying um, to, to suggest that they're somehow they're going to find it difficult from here on in um, would be to be very very defeatist particularly when Lionel Messi's got to come back to yeah. the team what will be the case is if they don't get a positive response in against Brazil and Colombia Martinez place is going to be very exactly well, very I think, complicated I think we need to look at not just the last two matches, but retrospectively back to the start of the Copa America as well. Because in my opinion, Martino has never installed his idea in the national team to a great effect. He's, he's in, for me, he's a, he's a manager. I don't want to call him a loser because obviously he's a very good manager, but how many titles has he won? What has he done to deserve a place on the Argentine bench? We have been, by and large, and I say we, I mean the, the Hunter Pod, editorial policy, which of course is entirely dictated by me, um, has have been by and large supportive of Martino when he got the Barcelona job and, and then since he's got the Argentina job. But after recent performances, I'm coming round to precisely what you just said, Fran. Um, not so much that I, I can't see how he got the job. There were obviously reasons... Um, which I think at the time were, were justified for, for taking the, should we say, a, an educated gamble on him. Um, but in terms of what he's brought to the job since getting it, he's been in charge for for basically a year now. Um, 
and we were expecting Argentina to kick on a bit and to adapt their play to a more possession-based style because I think that we, we would all agree that during the World Cup, during the last World Cup qualifying, Argentina played a very fast counter-attack uh, at pace and tore a lot of teams to pieces. Greatly effective. In the World Cup against teams who then just said, OK, it's obvious what your main strength is, we're going to sit back and try and damage limitation. Um, they struggled rather more because they weren't used to dealing with having the majority of possession in a match. Um, they managed to find a way through that anyway. <coughs> and after that, when Martino took over, I think we were expecting something that was what that was going to be a bit more sort of, okay, since we're going to have all this possession now, because teams have, have seen the danger, we're going to try and work out a way of using this possession properly. And that doesn't seem to have happened. It's kind and of it's somebody who's trying to get yeah, them to do something that Stabella didn't want them to do, and yet who isn't getting them to execute it anywhere near as well. But look at the look at the match yesterday. I, I saw Martino on the sideline yelling throughout the whole match, telling what we wanted the players to do, what we all wanted the players to do, mm-hmm. and what he clearly told them at halftime in, in the dugout, wherever. Hold the ball in midfield, don't lob it up front, pause, breathe, look look beside you to see if there's a player in space. Okay, Paraguay had a you know high pressure up up the pitch like Ecuador did but the players still just didn't listen just kept running and lobbing up front but the other thing is that that's difficult to do when the only midfield passer you've got in the team is it's Cranavita and in the uh, in, in the I'm forgetting which way around the matches were in the Ecuador match is Biglia Pastore is, is, is more of a runner and obviously as we say Mascherano tends to drop right down to the centre-backs and so holding the ball in midfield in the first place even if he's telling you to do it when you've got essentially a broken team with one guy in the middle, Bigley or Kranavita in these two cases, um, sort of standing there and, and looking for somebody to pass to. They can only pass it back to the centre-backs or look for a direct pass forward, which sometimes is going is, is gonna to produce something but against a team who is sitting back. Isn't, I would say. I and think, so there needs to be... I mean, the midfield's clearly the problem, right? Yeah. I think what the we're seeing in, in Argentina is... Something that often happens with these teams with coaches that are uh, very influenced by Bielcismo, this Marcelo Bielsa uh, philosophy style of playing and also with Bielsa's teams. Uh, when everything's perfect, they're fantastic, they can play off the field, but there's always, you know, with having these ideals, there's always this kind of lack of pragmatism to make you, changes on the fly and adapt. Do you think Martino is Bielsa? I think, yeah. You reckon? Yeah, with Paraguay and in other places, he, you know, he did manage to just take stock and say, "Look, I've got a really defensive team, strong, and I'll do this." But now, since he got to Barcelona, since he got to to Argentina, he's tried to get to get that going. Well, Martino Bielsa uh, has been criticized also by uh, doing this of putting players in rare uh, rare positions or, or, or strange positions. For example, I, I remember asking uh, asking Ortega to, to mark uh, the, the midfielders from the rivals and he was more used of, of course to, to dribbling and, 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 and shooting crosses to the, to the to the strikers not to run uh, uh, by their back to the to, another, to a rivals and, and, and yes uh, used to ask that for example to Ortega which was yes uh, very criticized for that then. <laughs> He uh, made a very a brilliant uh, qualifiers for, for Korea Japan, and this was not anymore. The, the, the Korean critics uh, were shut down, and, and 
and well after the of course the World Cup again the the, the critics but it it's no new for if you say if you mean Martino being Bielsista because of that yes you know what they have in common though they both lose finals regularly <laughs> and in Bielsa's case the 2002 World Cup am I correct 2002 yeah yes out in the group stage so I mean you know dying by a philosophy and lack of pragmatism not great <laughs> characteristics to have one other question that I wanted to ask and with a Boca fan in the studio this week this might well be a very polemical question Carlos Tevez is 31 years old he's a month and a half older than me in fact um, he has had 76 caps for Argentina um, the same number exactly as Juan Pablo Sorin who I was somewhat surprised to learn on looking it up last night because I was curious um, Juan Pablo Sorin for the benefit of listeners who are either too young or too forgetful to be able to remember uh, was a fullback he was a very good fullback and he was a very attacking fullback but I didn't expect him to have scored 11 goals for Argentina when Tevez has only scored 13 in the same number of appearances Obviously, Tevez isn't a number nine. He's not a centre-forward. He's not Gonzalo Higuain or Sergio Aguero, who are the guys who are expected to have a one-in-two record, and indeed who do have pretty much a one-in-two record for the national side. But you'd have expected Tevez to score a few more than that. You'd have expected him to score mm. more than one goal in 22 um, World Cup qualifiers, which is a stat that Football XXI um, put out on Twitter last night. And he's 31 years old. I mean, he, he's nobody's. I, I'm not trying to say that Tevez isn't a good player. He's clearly been a fantastic player at club level. The national side, when Sabella wasn't calling him up, didn't appear to suffer all that much. They reached a World Cup final without him. I struggle to remember the last genuinely impressive performance that he put in for Argentina. And given that the side needs some kind of replenishment and a reworking, would we carry on? Picking him if we I were think Argentina he's, managers? I think he's a very useful player to have in these qualifiers because he's very experienced. Uh, the stats are kind of, um, you know, what's the word when they're not all together? Misleading. Uh, kind of misleading because uh, a lot of those caps were when he uh, didn't start the match. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of situations he wasn't favoured by the the style of play not the style of play but the formation that Argentina for for example last night or against Ecuador as well but I wouldn't take him to the next World Cup that's for sure I think he's he's a very good player to fill in the squad and have on the bench uh, to replace uh, to replace maybe not Aguero no I mean I'd have put him in Yesterday, last night, I, I, I would have put him where Pastore was playing and had, I mean, from the squad who were called up, it would have to be Dybala, but ideally I'd have had Icardi or Higuain up, up there in front of him. Yeah. Um, because Tevez was doing a hell of a lot of a better job in that role, even though he wasn't actually supposed to be playing that <laughs> yeah. role, than Pastore was. And at Absolutely. least Tevez was showing for the ball. Um, so some use today... But they need to be exploring other options for. Well, yeah, I think for the next two years of qualifying, he's. It would be good for him to be on the team. After that, start giving more of a a chance for uh, Diwala, Icardi. In the meantime, I think it's going to be very difficult to ignore Icardi for uh, for the next games, especially if Awedo, as it looks, 
it doesn't make it. Yeah, and it's very difficult. I mean, you mean Wayne won't, won't be called up anymore, or it's got to be one of the two. Um, if Martino goes up, Iguain is sort of a, a loss of face, no? After leaving him out now with Napoli going well with. I'm going to try and, scoring, scoring goals. I'm going to try and bring a couple of listeners' questions in as we do this episode because obviously we've had a lot about the, the national side and one of them was about precisely what you're saying, Dan, which is why I've just interrupted you, so just bear with me and I'll try and find it. Uh, Joseph Sexton says, It strikes me as curious that Iguain's been omitted now by Tata. He was bang out of form before the Copa America for Napoli. Um, and he's now, uh, he says... He missed some crucial penalties for them, but this season he's in form. And the penalty miss in the Copa America final was really predictable. Is he being punished by not being called up now? Yeah, it seems like it. I said on Twitter last night, and I stand by it, that it's great to see the the new kids in, in the squad, the likes of Mas, Craneviter, uh, Correa, Dybala, but what I don't understand is why having a whole year without competitive games mm. to experiment to uh, bring these kids obviously some of them won in contention a year ago or, or whatever but why did Martino leave this this renewal until uh, Argentina were facing a World Cup qualifier was it underestimating Ecuador thinking that it was a good time to try new players that the result was already in the bag was it you know a lack of vision trying to or trying to re- reward the World Cup squad with a testimonial year before the Copa America playing with pretty much well it was pretty much the same squad uh, from the World Cup 2014 to the Copa America so yeah. I don't think it's that far out to say it's it was kind of a prize but for them one the World Cup final a big difference between the, the, the players he called up for friendlies than the players that he called up for, for Copa America no, I don't think so. Martino always stuck with um, with Savela's his, his first squad. I think there were three changes, um, and two of them were injury related. I can't remember which yeah. which three players it was. You're probably talking about Banega coming in for Enzo Perez, like fringe player in for fringe yeah, player. I feel like Maxi wasn't in the initials or in his very first yeah. squad. And Maxi Rodriguez coming in, something like that. Yeah, I read some something of a rumor. Uh, that Iguain rejected uh, the call-up to go to the US for those friendlies, and this was a punishment because of that. Did okay. you guys hear anything about that? No, I've heard it and forgot about Di Maria yeah. asking not to be considered so that he could set were, in Paris. There were there were rumors, but not uh, confirmed, of course, uh, <coughs> about that some illness he had and he was sick, and that's why he didn't want to go and. But then Martinez said he, it wasn't like because of that and uh, like tactical decisions and that and that was the, the, the reason why he... The official explanation. Yeah. Yes, of course. But the fact still remains, the fact that he's trying new players, um, you know, say two weeks before the first World Cup qualifier or in the first World Cup qualifier itself when he had an entire year to, to renew the squad and, and get the scenarios... It's a real lack of foresight. It, it surprises me, and I think with the the injuries Argentina got now, which obviously we can use as a mitigating factor in in these two games, which weren't the best, um, 
you can see the the short sightedness of, of that player. Exactly, and the other thing is it can be a mitigating factor, but also okay, it's, it's obviously one thing. Everybody's going to miss Messi. There's no team yeah. in the world who wouldn't, even Barcelona do, and so on. This gets said every time Messi is injured. But it becomes a, an excuse because what did we say last week? I sorry, what did I say last week on the pod? I said that I was expecting Argentina, or at least hoping for some of the players to, without Messi, to, to sit up and start playing for the team, mm. rather than just hoping oh, Leo will bail us, bail us out. It's okay. Yeah, but and they happen. didn't do. No. But the other thing is that Sergio Aguero getting injured, doing his hamstring without even a challenge, is one of the most predictable things ever. Yeah, having like okay, that's half said in jest, but the the fact that there's always a risk with Aguero's injury record and I don't mean to you know make fun of him because it's difficult not to feel sorry for him in this respect I'm sure even you Dan as a Racing fan feel this yeah, 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 but, um, but, but the, the idea that that he might pick up an injury isn't such a very you know far away thought in his head and yeah. therefore why was there nobody who could adequately replace him yeah another number why is nine Tevez replacing him when as we've established Tevez whether you love him or hate him, Tevez is undoubtedly not a player who, who is going to be a direct replacement for Sergio Aguero. Yeah. But yes, for Martino, that's a problem. Yeah, if, if you worry about times, you even call up someone from Boca, someone from River, and at the last, you know, if you don't want someone doing a transatlantic fight at the last minute, yeah. call up Caleri, call up Alario, or Bow, they'll do a job on the bench at least, you know. It's something rather than having someone who can't play in that position. Marco Ruben. Okay, he's Marco gonna, Ruben. He's going to piss off a lot of his Newell's old boys fan base there. But, yeah. you know, why not? Yeah, why not? Like, Gino Berlusi perhaps could be a good option you know, for the right back. Or not. Well, I'm not <laughs> sure about for centre forward. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I am talking about replacement, not only. Yeah, no, absolutely, because that's the other point is, is the complete lack of options at fullback in both roles. Mm-hmm. I was only joking, don't worry. Don't, don't uh, well, Roncaglia was as dead as... Precisely, as, as, a nightmare. Roncaglia, I mean, thank God Zabaleta was fit for the second match. Cause oh boy, what a difference. Yeah. What a difference that was yeah. in, in quality. Purely by being barely competent. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's not as if Zabaleta was phenomenal in putting the best performance in his think, career. I think you've hit the nail on the head on... Um, because more than up front, because we know Argentina has more than enough players up front, is fullbacks. But more importantly, and this is a question I want to ask you guys, who can come in in the midfield that is young and take charge of the midfield in the next few years? We've said this, uh, I mean, we keep on, I at least keep on mentioning Kranavita because as regular listeners will know, I have a major man crush on Kranavita. Perhaps it should be a boy Mm -hmm. crush, I don't know. Either way, it's it's not uh, healthy. But um, so Kranavita's one. I would say. Mm-hmm. Other names then, gentlemen? If you talk about their their moments right now, you will laugh, of, of course, I, I I am sure. But Jorge Ortiz, for example, from, from Independiente, is, he's playing really, really, really good. Of course, if you mean uh, calling player players for the following matches, I don't say he will, he, he might be a, a, a sustainable uh, solution. Yes, but. Uh, he has been Carry on. just <laughs> extraordinary this mm. uh, recent matches. So uh, perhaps it's a good option for yes, this this following matches. Another one. Yeah. But in the next few years, which was uh, I mean, too late for Polaco Bastia. Probably. <laughs> maybe you can even say a penalty is Taco Mangal. No, exactly. I mean, maybe he's a, a good backup to Romero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a bad shot. 
I think that's where Argentina's main problem is. And, and Fran, to turn your question back on you, who would you suggest? I don't have any idea. Obviously, you've got Banega and Gago out injured at the moment, which doesn't help. Roberto Pereira, who didn't feature, is a good... That's who I put in, in that role. So again, sorry, no? Uh, Pereira, the ex-River, now Juventus. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, well, he was, was on the bench. Yeah, yeah, he was on the bench. He was on the bench. Overlooked, yeah. Um, someone mobile, someone who can go box to box. It's really what well, Argentina need in the middle. Mm. And what they clearly didn't have. Gagos surely has, has played his last game for Argentina, no? I would think so. I have to see how he comes back from this injury, but... His days are counted, I think. Yeah, we shall see. Banega is, was in, in relatively good form last season for Sevilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he finished the season very strongly indeed. Um, we're going to take a break now and refill our glasses. We'll come back afterwards and discuss uh, some other stuff, I suppose, what we're looking forward to and what needs to be changed ahead of Colombia and Brazil, which are Argentina's next two qualifiers, in the opposite order from what I just said. Uh, is Brazil and then Colombia and then just uh, a very brief preview of the coming weekend's action in the Primera so don't go away discussing midfielders and who might be the next ones who would we make as our major changes to the squad for the next two World Cup qualifiers which are in I think almost exactly a month right at home to Brazil yeah. we November the stadium. 12th and 17th thank you very much Dan we don't know which stadium they're going to be playing Buenos Aires definitely it's confirmed it's Buenos Aires I don't know if it'll be the Monument Day but confirmed today yeah Okay. Against Brazil? Here, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, against Brazil. That, that's good because there was discussion about um, possibly changing it to Cordoba or Mendoza, which A, would have made the travel to then get back to Buenos Aires to fly to Colombia slightly ridiculous. Um, and B, I think, was a little bit cheeky of the players to sort of say, oh, we're really pissed off with the fans for the way that they, you know, the way they reacted to the performance when the players turned in a performance like that. I mean, it's the second World Cup qualifier Argentina have ever lost in the Monumental. I think the fans are justified in having, especially having paid the ticket prices they had to pay for the national side. Um, I think they're justified and, in showing that. Argentina has a bad record against Brazil and Rosario, for example, where they have been lost, losing lately. They've, they've lost 100% of their, <laughs> of their matches against Brazil and Rosario. Yeah. No, if it wasn't Buenos Aires, it was going to be Córdoba or Mendoza. Yeah. That. Um, Either one of which would have been deeply annoying for those of us who live in Buenos Aires and want to go to the match because we've not been to Argentina, Brazil before. Um, I might be getting accredited as well. So, good good luck for that, Don. So, hopefully, it will be somewhere in Buenos Aires. I mean, well, hopefully, it'll be the one I meant out, but uh, if not, then then hopefully it'll be somewhere else that's relatively easy to get to. Um, Please, if you're listening, Alpha. But what major changes can you make from the squad? Let's presume. Not being number one either. That's basically what you're saying. Yes. Well, <laughs> no, no, because La Bombonera is still easy to get to. Yeah. That's the, I mean, I, I wouldn't be so hot on it if it was at San Lorenzo, let's say, which, frankly, it, it terrifies me, the idea of going down there on public <laughs> transport. But, uh, you know, 
Yeah. I ain't do that. La is fine. I know which bus to get off and I know where to go. Um, but with which major changes were made to the squad? I mean, we've got to assume, I think, that Aguero's not going to be in. Mm. Messi may or may not be back in. So, with the exception of possibly Messi coming back in, if he's available, because obviously that's a no-brainer, um, which other changes? Who would we replace Aguero with? And are there any other players who we would definitely drop from the two matches that have just been played or would definitely want in for the next two? Well, I would definitely call back, uh, call Iwain back up. Mm-hmm because he's in great form and because he's the number nine that Argentina can't really replace right now. Yeah. I'll go for, um, for three call-ups up front. I'll go for Iwain, Icardi and, and Vieta. Get them all in to have, to have that variation off the bench at least. Mm-hmm. Um, in midfield, if you think Banega's going to be back and Zopedes is going to be back, you, you're probably going to have to, you'd have to have them guys in there too. Pereira, um, Pereira, he's, he's already in the squad. Oh, he was in the squad for yeah. the last two. Was it? I thought he was injured for some reason. No, no, I, he was in. I would yeah. start Lamela over Pactore because as soon as I was talking uh, with Andres about this off the mic, that as soon as Lamela came in, regardless of whether he was you know uh, effective or not, you could instantly see the uh, the change in in desire to to play the ball. You know, with Lamela. Yeah, he created two opportunities last night. Uh, one, the first, the very first ball he touched uh, was a good pass to Di Maria, who made up uh, a shot from, uh, up from the from the bar, and and a, a very good pass to Dybala. Dybala, the most clear opportunity <coughs> just at 40, 40 minutes in the second half, I think. I have a Sorry to interrupt, Andres. I have a question about Dybala. Does anybody know what, what kind of role he's playing at uh, Palermo? No, he's at Juve. He's at Juventus now. Which shows you how much I, I need to <laughs> catch up on. Does anybody know what kind of role he's playing at Juventus? Is he a centre forward? Sort of that's uh, what he was put on last night. Sort of the Tevez role. Okay. What, how Tevez was playing in, in Juventus. Because I never really thought of him as the number nine, but that's clearly what he was supposed to be doing yeah. for the last ten minutes or so that he was playing last night, which surprised me a little bit. Yeah, it's not a role I think he's particularly comfortable with either. Mm. But no, he's sort of that second striker um, playing off whoever uh, Juve have got as the first striker. He's yeah. a great player. He, uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's got a, a, a real hot prospect. But you know, he's not ready really to yes. to play for Argentina. Argentina has the most important, the four most, the four most important matches uh, that has been played. Playing, uh, didn't score any goals. Uh, the two finals and the last two matches. For, for the qualifiers so there are goals needed really yeah I think uh, again Football XXI um, tweeted last night that it's the third I think it is third worst run for Argentina without a goal in World Cup qualifying history because the last goal they scored was shortly before half time um, against Uruguay in the final qualifier for the last World Cup so there's something like 230 minutes now without uh, without a World Cup goal um, I just thought I'd throw that one in. That's it. Yeah, it's not quite worth panicking yet because I don't know if you guys remember back in the 2014 qualifiers, they got off to a decent start, but and then they had a wobble with a draw at home to Bolivia and um, and a loss to Venezuela. Yeah. And we were saying a lot of the same things, I think, that, that we're saying now. And 
with a few changes. Uh, so Ella managed to get that team through. Most notably, the change was bringing Nagüero in and and forming that front three with Messi and Wayne. Yeah, which worked exceedingly well in the qualifiers. So we're gonna what we're gonna see is how Martino's gonna react and how the players react, obviously. But what kind of tools, what kind of team he can put out to um, to really counteract what what went wrong, which was a lot. Mm. We'll obviously preview those matches closer to the time, but uh, before we get off the t- subject of the national team altogether, I shall go through the f- remaining uh, questions because all the questions we have via Twitter <laughs> were to do with the national team. We've had a couple of non-national team ones via email, but the rest of the Twitter ones, uh, one from Roberto Rojas, who of course is Paraguayan and would like to know what our opinions on Paraguay's great start to the qualifiers and who's impressed us in them. I'm assuming that we didn't see Paraguay's first match. No, I saw a little bit. I think against was quite loud well, against Venezuela. I against think. Venezuela, yeah. No, they played well on uh, last night. The loss of Ortigos, I think, hurt them because he been really impressive in the first twenty minutes. That was no, he played a little bit, for, a little bit more. He got injured on 35, 40 minutes, but the first twenty minutes in. In particular, Paraguay were all over um, Argentina, really pushing him back, and he was instrumental in that. Um, Liz Cannon, who made his debut, and impressed me as well. And very, very quick around the box and and looked dangerous. Uh, Darley Gonzalez had a very good game. Santander, who is probably the footballer I most love on the planet, uh, came in and and did very well. He's, you know, I think if he was Argentine. We'd be crying to snap him up as a, as the number nine we we hope and dream about. But no, you can see it's a very solid team. They're not going to concede many goals. That um, that base, you know, that strong Paraguay defence, which only really malfunctioned against against Argentina in the Copa America, um, is still there. Ramon Diaz is is um, as picaro as, as ever on the bench. They were very lucky not to go down to 10 men, we should say, because there was a horror tackle on Dybala from Bruno Valdez. Right as he came on the pitch. Yeah. yeah. And also, of course, um, as Dan put it on Twitter, Carlos Tevez's pretty boy status has been threatened by yeah. the fact that he's picked up a broken If they were in that beautiful face, I would never forgive Diaz. Caceres, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Another uh, player alive. You mentioned Romero, right? I didn't mention Romero because he's a racing fan. This is yeah. Oscar Romero of Paraguay. We should Yeah, he he looks. Uh, Tell us about him. He's a player I like a lot. Uh, he didn't get much of a chance to shine last night. I think he only played fifteen twenty minutes, but he's been getting better and better for Racing. He's a left-footed number ten who can also play out wide, play a bit further up front. Uh, very good touch, dribbles past players. Passes short, passes long. He's got a decent shot on him. He's got a couple of cracking goals for Racing. Um, he went in, in, in uh, so to replace uh, uh, Barrios, I think, was it? He replaced. Hang on, has got Salas. I was going to say that. Fourteen minutes to go. who could take more advantage of players like Derli Gonzalez, Descano, mm-hmm. well, he made his debut, but uh, and Romero perhaps perhaps play together, and mm-hmm. he do- doesn't put them together. That means that yesterday, I think. He was comfortable with the point. Yeah, I got the feeling yesterday that although Diaz would have loved to take three points against Argentina, he was more than happy with a draw after getting that first win against Venezuela. And four points from the first six was 
was better than that's why you know, on par. I think that the, the the way that Argentina wanted to arrive to the match last night was the way that Paraguay arrived, mm-hmm. uh, having won won that uh, the, the match against Venezuela and uh, being well. Yes, we have four points now mm-hmm. out of six. We are comfortable, and Argentina we were obliged to look for the victory yeah. because they have lost. So this made Paraguay or Ramon Diaz be easy at ease with. Yeah, playing on the counter, waiting for Argentine mistakes, which we know are always going to appear in the back. And yeah, they could well have nicked it with a couple of chances. I know Zabaleta made a brilliant block off Lescano. Funimori, I think think he was. No, Zabaleta made one and then then, Funimori. Romero wasn't really tested, but only because of those heroic lunges. Indeed. Um, We've already (coughs) asked. Answered, uh, asked and answered Joseph's question about uh, Iguain's omission. Um, so the only other Twitter question that we have had is from Mike O, who asks, and he might Ooh. be possibly slightly premature here. He asks, if Martino is to get the sack, who realistically would be in the frame to replace him? Yes, there's been a lot of talk from the people who would like Martino to get the sack right now about Diego Simeone. Uh, that would be difficult. Realistic. Simeone, uh, Atlético de Madrid. I think he signed. They, they signed a close with Simeone so that Argentina ha, uh, has not the possibility to, to uh, contract him or hire him mm. uh, and of course quit uh, to, from Atletico Madrid and so I think Simeone if, if Martino was, uh, had no good, no good results against Colombia and Brazil uh, of course uh, we are talking about future but uh, Bielsa is with no job I, of course I am talking about the, the coaches that are not with no yeah, Mike's asked for realistic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, I wouldn't really favor uh, Bielsa return as a Boca fan. However premature this may seem and and strange this may seem coming from a Boca fan, I wouldn't mind seeing Gallardo take the job. So that he's not managing River anymore. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, because um, unlike most Argentines, I'm first a national team fan and then a Boca fan. And Gachado is someone who's just won the two most important uh, trophies in South America. He's a winner. He's, he's shown he's a winner. He's shown he can motivate players. He's shown he can pick the best players. Mm. So I think I think he would be a, a, a great bet for Argentina. I guess as well, in spite of the fact that he's not that um, well established yet as a manager, he wouldn't have a problem of the players not recognizing him because I mean he's. I guess one or two of the older players in the squad he's probably played with, um, and everybody knows what he did as a player. So, so it well, he's he's one of those last great number tens which we were just talking about mm. that Argentina's missing, and maybe in the absence of a number ten on the pitch, one on the bench wouldn't be a bad idea, mm. would it? Yeah. Well, Martino is yeah, another one, uh, but I mean yeah. one of the last ones. Yeah. And another another good point to make is that. At least in my opinion, the uh, the generation aspect of the debate. I think I think it's time for the new managers to come in. El Vasco Arena, Gallardo. I think they're showing better results than Bianchi, Ramon Diaz. I think that uh, you obviously, uh, as far as I'm aware, Fran, you weren't uh, very aware of Hand of Pod before Dan invited you on for the first time a few weeks ago. But uh, that's something we've been saying pretty much since we started. <laughs> 
that, that it's mm-hmm. time for a, a shift in generation of the managers. Great I minds, would, great minds think alike. Indeed. I would agree with what you said at first about Gashad, although it's probably a bit too early, and I think him and Simeone as well, I'd like to see them both get a bit more experience. Um, but you'd have to think of somebody along those lines. And the other thing is that the AFA, I suspect, don't have a very clear idea either of who they've replaced no. it with, because there's no project. We're not talking about, a, a, say, something that, like what Germany have done, where the last three managers now, I think it is, have each been the former one's assistant, and, and there's yeah. been a clear direction right. running through. A 20-year plan or so. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. We're not talking about what the Spanish FA have done with something very similar. With Argentina, it's okay. Well, Maradona, who was just throwing everything forward and hoping something stuck, mm-hmm. let's replace him with Sabella, and now Sabella's gone, who's playing a very counter-attacking style. Let's replace him with Martino, who plays yes. very patient. Oh, sorry, Maradona wasn't replaced with Sabella, of course. It was Batista and then Sabella. But, you know, there's this, this whole kind of lack of one clear idea from the top because sometimes as the phrase goes the managers need somebody to manage them as well um, and if you look at the under 20s who are you going to bring in Umbertito Grandona and that is especially <laughs> aggravated by the current, current political climate at AFA so I mean there's a lack of a, an overarching long term project but there's also a lack of a short term project to see who's going to grab the reins of the whole thing and, you know, take charge and make decisions. To summarize, there is a lack of talent in all the lines, in, in the, mem- the members of the boards and, and the, 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 the coaches, the players, there is no talent in, I think... There's a lack of talent from the yeah, yes, very, very from the head and all the way down on the well, No, there, there are talent, talent with Argentine coaches because you've got the Copa America no. winners, uh, coached by an Argentine. Peru finished third, yeah. a coach by so an Argentine. So this is a question that... Paraguay finished fourth, a coach yeah, by an Argentine. No. So a discussion that, that, that I had on Twitter last night. Mm. If Argentina were to approach San Paoli... He'd tell him if I got. Well, All he probably right. would. Right Let's just say that he, he gets the job, that, that he, he accepts the job. He would come under enormous pressure very, very quickly because he's not really got any recognition here. In spite of the fact that he just won the Copa America, nobody... Sort of, other than being that guy who beat Argentina in the final of the Copa America, San Pablo in Chile has the rare luxury of of uh, an international coach of knowing his players um, like they're a club team. Mm. Because in effect, the base of the Chile team are uh, the guys he coached in Universidad, the likes of Vargas, Diaz, Aranguis, Mena, uh, Pepe Rojas. All these guys were with him when. University Chile had that fantastic team Enriquez as well who's just coming through um, all part of that University Chile team who was so good they got to the semi-finals of the Libertadores I think in 2011 and, and they won the Sudamericana Sudamericana in, in record fashion yes 2011 yeah yes. so yeah Paulo. maybe the results he's had um, we can't really extrapolate them to another team because he's been able to have that progression and it's something almost no other um, uh, national coach in the world can count on. And it's also something that, to take it away from the Argentine national team as well, it's something that's going to make it interesting to see what his next appointment is because of course wherever he goes next he's not going to have the same luxury himself. So no, unless he goes back to University of <laughs> Well, yeah, indeed, yeah. Well, when I guess he'd be yeah. starting the whole thing rolling again. Indeed. Um, yeah, yeah, I, said, sorry, I said that there is a lack of talent and... <laughs> Four of the coaches, the four coaches in the coaches in the semi-finals of the Copa America were Argentine. Mm. It's yes, it's a very paradox, parado- paradox. But yeah. uh, Ramon Diaz, Areca, no, um, yeah, Areca, yeah. Ramon Diaz, uh, San Paoli, and, and Martino Martin. were the coaches in and the. Peckerman in uh, okay. Quartos, Quinteros. Ah, so, yes, 
Indeed, us. And it yeah. kind of it said a lot about. I think it was Jonathan Wilson who tweeted before the semi-finals that there were four Argentine coaches in the semi-final, and Argentina arguably had the worst of them. Yes. Um, which I mean, you know, don't Debatable. necessarily agree with that. Debatable, but it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, certainly it's a conversation that can be had, and yeah. uh, it, it's a bit of a depressing one. Yeah. Going back to the question very shortly for our final word, I wouldn't be upset with Gareca as a choice. He wouldn't be the worst man Argentina could bring in. Okay. I think the main thing that I would want is perhaps Gareca isn't the one for me because of this reason, that I want someone who's young enough to be able to connect with this generation. That's my point. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty close to agreeing with what you're saying, actually, Fran. It's uh, a difficult balance, always, in coaching between the experience, knowing the world, knowing what you do, and being young enough to... There are no so many. With the players. Leo Coca, another one. But no, no, Coca. No. <laughs> Pochettino, maybe, in, he's been doing right in England. I don't know. Right. They'll have to pay a lot of money to get him away from Spurs, though, won't they? Yeah. Um, moving on to the domestic game, Defensa Justicia versus River Plate, which is uh, the leftover match from the 19th round, which is when River were off in Japan, or just shortly after they got back, so it got delayed, uh, is about to uh, kick off in about 10 minutes' time, obviously. I will bring you the result of that after the final uh, theme music. But um, other things to be considered this weekend. Well, we've got a Racing fan and a Boca fan here. So I guess uh, ahead of Racing Boca, the question to ask is, are Boca going to win the league this weekend? No, we're going to win. First of all, require San Lorenzo to drop points. We're going to win it all. We're going to win 3-0 and Boca can go home grind. That's fighting for it, though. They had a, a, a tournament in the 90s where that Vélez won, that Boca was, had everything to win it, and, and Vélez finally... Claim for it. Yeah, well, I thought we talked about it last time. Fran was on a few yeah. years ago. Yes, of yeah. A couple of podcasts back, we referred to the, the I think it was 2007 final run of about three games that Boca needed one point and lost all three. So it's not something that Boca is foreign to uh, losing in the final mm-hmm. sprint. But I think this coming match against Racing is going to be very tricky because uh, however much uh, uh, Dan may dislike or maybe be lukewarm toward Coca. I think he's he's built a very solid racing side. No, I'll take nothing away from Coca. He's he's done very well. I remember what state racing we're in before he came. So I take nothing away from Coca, but I don't think either that he's uh, the best coach in the world. I think it's going to be very difficult for Boca to to come away from El Cilindro de Avellaneda with all three points. I think it's going to be hard for San Lorenzo to lose in Olimpo de Bahia Blanca. We should say now that, uh, sorry to interrupt Fran, but San Lorenzo for some reason are playing Olimpo several hours before Racing Boca kicks off. Uh, Olimpo v San Lorenzo has been scheduled for 10 past 4 and Racing Boca is scheduled for 9.30. Those are both uh, Argentine kickoff times and they're both on Sunday. So Boca will actually know when they can win the league or not. Exactly. Um, by the time they kick off, obviously, if San Lorenzo do beat Olimpo, which, although you say San Lorenzo aren't going to lose, it's also not going to be easy for them to win, because Olimpo and Bayablanca are often difficult to beat. But uh, if San Lorenzo do lose, Boca can win the league. If San Lorenzo win, 
then then Boca can't win the league on Sunday. Although they can go six clear with six to play for, of course. Exactly. So that's going to affect directly how uh, Rabarana goes into that match. If he's going to look uh, to protect at least the point, or if he's going to go all out to get the win. Mm. Because really, if, if Boca drop points there, then it starts to get a little bit tense the last two matches at home to Tigre and away to Central, which isn't going to be easy. But the other thing that I like about this, we've been bitching about the uh, the, the, the 30-team championship and particularly about the structure with everybody playing everybody else once except for their classical rivals so they have to play twice, which distorts it if you've got a weak classical rival as, say, San Lorenzo did, although, of course, they lost to Huracan and Boca beat River, so it ended up having the opposite effect. Um, but in, in itself that's not really a proper um, league system but one thing that's good about the playoffs because there are going to be playoffs for four teams going into the Copa Libertadores and then for like 10 or 12 teams the, the, the playoff losers of the Libertadores one and then a few more below them in the table for the Sudamericana is that although Racing can't win the league anymore they've still very much got something to play for themselves and therefore it's not going to be a disinterested Racing side um, who aren't really that bothered anymore no, against never, the Boca side who are never to the Boca I mean, it probably like wouldn't have been yeah. anyway but it just takes away any of that doubt because Racing still need I mean they're probably going to be in the Libertadores playoff spot in any case but they, they still need a couple of results to make that absolutely certain and also they're fighting for you know home advantage in the, in the semi-final of that playoff spot which if they get drawn against Independiente could be key <laughs> yeah absolutely so what's um, the format for the players in the end? Is it two it's, legs it's or...? The semi-finals are one, one leg with, with the, the highest higher team, place team getting home at home. And then the final is over two legs. <laughs> because... Yeah, sure. Um, now, if Racing get the semi-final in, in, in the Benyente Stadium, I'm just going to go on holiday and not even bother watch. <laughs> pack up a go home now. I think a, a big uh, th- uh, factor to consider is that... Uh, Tevez played most of the match on Tuesday. Mm. Has a broken nose. He might be playing with extreme. a mask. He, he, that's, that's what they say. He's going to play with a mask. I'm sure he's not going to miss this match. But uh, he's, he's, uh, he's worn down. I mean, mm. he's, uh, he's not going to be at his best physically. And that'll be a slight advantage for Racing. Because Boca, like Argentina, are Messi-dependent. Boca are very Tevez-dependent right now. I saw somebody tweet yesterday that without Tevez, Boca would have been battling relegation this year, which I think is a bit no. much, given that A, they were very, very comfortable in the Promedio table, and B, two teams are going to get relegated this year. Well, they top as well. Suggesting that Tevez has been change. quite that influential is a bit much. Half the season, then we didn't have Tevez. So. But all the Weren't same... they top after that half a season? They, they were having a... I think second. Of the relegation second. table or of the league no, table? No, the league table. Okay, yes, I think yes. they were. But all the same, they were, they were having a little bit of a dip because before the Copa America, I think it was a draw and two defeats or two draws and a defeat right before the break. And then, of course, Tevez came in and, and I think without him, they might very well have not gone on to win the league. I mean, we said this when they signed him, that he might very well make the difference for them in that respect. Um, any other matches this weekend, guys, that you're particularly looking forward to apart from Racing Boca? Where's Crucero del Norte at? Crucero del Norte are playing at home in Chaco against Independiente. And that's yeah. on Friday evening, so that should be some um, decent entertainment. But that is something, oh, another incredible thing, that the president of Crucero del Norte arranged Crucero to be home at, in, at Chaco against Independiente and River, and now they are relegated because they wanted to have more 
supporters. In fairness, they'd have been relegated if he <laughs> played those games in Missiones as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not a very good team. And what's the next stage of Chicago's Great Escape? Nova Chicago um, are now five points behind Colón, who are the most likely to be caught. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago this weekend are at home on Saturday afternoon to Newell's Old Boys. Colón are. Where are they? They're at home as well against Arsenal de Sarandí. Arsenal are in decent form at the moment and Colón I don't think have scored in six matches. <laughs> I mean, I'm beginning to think, the thing is that Newell's have picked it up a little bit now. I still think that it's going to be Chicago who get relegated, but it's going to be a hell of a lot closer than we were expecting it to be. Um, to see, because Colón really are not playing very well at the moment. Um, that one's disastrous for them one match which really underlines how far both of these clubs have fallen in the last couple of years on Saturday night Lanús against Venice mm. two years ago that would have been a potential title decider and look what we're looking at it now um, Estudiantes against Quilmes on Saturday night also should be cracking both teams are in very good form I think Estudiantes are five games unbeaten and Quilmes are ten yeah, games four in a row five in a row yeah both are still possibilities to get the, the, the playoff or Libertadores or uh, let's have a look at the moment Estudiantes at 8th which given that River are in automatically are above them and that um, Central if they finish in the playoff spot but win the Copa Argentina will also get an automatic spot Independiente could qualify automatically by the Sudamericana uh, Racing could get the Copa Argentina so Estudiantes have got a chance of, uh, of getting there anyway and they're play- who did I say they were playing? Kilomes. Kilomes are at the moment, where are they? 11th. But they're only three points behind Estudiantes. So if they beat them, then yeah, Kilomes could catapult themselves up into Libertadores playoff contention, which would be phenomenal, really, from Saha, given the position that Kilomes were in when they took over. Um, question, how are- question oh. sorry. When is the next uh, round of the Copa Argentina? Ooh, they, they Both the semi-finals so are being played on the 23rd of October. That so in is, 10 days. Yeah. Boca oh, that's, are playing that's Friday of next yeah, week. Nine days, so. sorry. Boca are playing in San Juan and Racing Central in Salta. Same um, Boca are playing against... Does it oh, defensive? No, it's not defensive. No, they beat defensive. Lanús. In the last round. Lanús could be. And the okay. final would be in November? I'd imagine so, yeah. The final, yes. I think, the final has to be before the Copa Libertadores playoffs for the league because the winner of the final could very well affect who is in the Copa Libertadores playoffs for the league so that's going to have to be right after the league season finishes and like in the previous uh, rounds uh, the, this, the Copa Argentina uh, matches are going to be played the uh, same day as the Copa Sudamericana ones mm. yeah. mm-hmm. um, we have two more questions and they're both by email and they both deal with matters domestic which is why we've left them till now Lee Bartlett says He's got a load of questions about partially built stadiums, basically. He says, can you tell me what's the latest progress update for Estudiantes de la Plata's rebuilt stadium? Anyone? I wouldn't know, to be honest. They're still doing it. They're still doing it, but I think it's going very slowly. Indeed. I think maybe, was it 2016, 2017 is the earliest they got for... That's right, I think Veron gave an interview a couple of months ago and said they wanted to be moving in in February 2017. It was once 2016, I remember that date, but it looks like that's not going to happen. This is Argentina, so there we go. Also, any update on San Lorenzo's return to Boedo? Same as, they're still buying 
yeah, by square meters the per land as it goes along. Yeah. Um, is there any chance of Chacarita's cancha being finished? I wasn't aware Chacarita were building one, but they got one in Visha Maipu. That's they want another one. one. We think Chacarita already. Alright, so they want another one. Take it. And Lee also says that I know stadium development progress can be painfully slow in Argentina, but recently Moron completed their new ground. Defensa Justicia have just completed the fourth side at theirs, and Gimnasia La Plata built a new stand. Have I missed any? Well, Independiente are getting very close to being able to put a roof on theirs. I went um, past uh, Independiente Stadium the other day, and it still looks like a building. Is it so. right? They, they're putting a stadium on uh, roof on the stadium? No, yeah, that's, that, that was, that was part of the plans. Oh. But uh, it's going to be a while. I, I, went, he I went past last Friday, and it looks exactly the same as a year ago. Hmm. Special ones. They've painted one side, which is and they finished building the fourth stand. Which mm, was not quite, not quite. Two thirds built. No, scaffolding is still up. Really? Yeah, on the side that that looks towards uh, Racing Stadium, it's still got scaffolding. Yikes! They're yeah. stupid as well because they painted and finished the side, which looks away from the Racing Ground. If I'm the Independiente president, yeah, so you can see Racing Stadium through the. Yeah, no, but if I'm the Independiente president, I'm, fin- I'm finishing first the side that looks onto our rivals. So I stop taking the piss. Yeah, <laughs> he missed uh, Ferro. Who built a, a stand on? They only had that one big stand on oh, one side of the stadium, and then they put one on one of the ends ends of the pitch, a big uh, concrete stand. Yeah, interesting. I was not aware of that. And it's yeah. concrete, not wood. Concrete. Wow. They're moving into almost the twentieth century. Well, Ferro is a, is a team to that's standing out in the in the second division. Yeah, they well. They come out of bankruptcy and uh, they're pushing for promotion. Mm. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. They Obviously, Dan will be delighted. They we know he bit, follows every result. They bring a bit more to the 30-team Primera than Cruzeiro del Norte have managed. <laughs> these things. They won't play the home games in Chaco. Two-time champions in, in the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Ellingham's question is, do you think the plans for a new Champions League of the Americas will come to fruition? The short answer to that is no, not in a million years. But he says if it does happen, do you think it will be a benefit to the domestic game in Argentina? Yeah, in the, the money. sense that the money would come pouring in, in the, um, at least by the plans, yeah. The but. prize money that they're talking about, by Argentine standards, is enormous. They would be offering automatic qualification for all of the big five, regardless of league performance, which I think is stupid, and there are various other things, but I mean, ultimately it's not going to happen, so there's not an awful No, it's not a bad plan in itself, but in its current format, it's completely unviable. Another and question... Rubbing out the history of the Libertadores is... No, it's just stupid. I, I want to ask a question. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, next year, the next year, Cop America in, in the US. Yeah. Any news on that? At it's the moment, it's definitely going. happening. Yes. Yeah. But we don't know where. So well, Argentina will have their, their second chance. Yeah, they could well. Um, which is another reason, I guess, for Martino to start taking the balance of the team in the immediate future a little more seriously. As well as the Olympics, I guess, as well. Thanks, yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, um, the final email that we have had is from Rob Crisp, uh, who wrote to me um, actually last week, and I forgot to, to read him out. It's not really a question, but a couple of weeks ago uh, we mentioned Arsenal. That's Arsenal de Londres players, as opposed to Arsenal de Sarandí players who are Argentine and have played for Arsenal. Um, and we were trying to remember who the third one might be, and he has emailed in to say that it's a gentleman called Fabian Cavachero who got one league. One league match off the bench and he played two cup games. 
So thank you for In that. In what year was this? Uh, I will click on his Wikipedia page, which Rob has sent me now, and I will tell you. Fantastic. He was at Arsenal on, let's see, he's 37 now. He's from Misiones. And started out at Guarani Antonio Franco, who were um, oh, uh, Crucero del Norte's regional rivals, and was at Arsenal on loan from Cerro Porteño. That sounds like a dodgy move. Uh, nah, Misiones Paraguay. In the 1998 to 99 season. Defensa Justicia have just taken the lead against uh, River after two minutes, by the way. Um, so thank you very much for writing in with that one, Rob. The next music that you hear is Mystic Sam's theme music, and the next voice that you hear is Mystic Sam's voice telling you. Want to bet your pocket money on this weekend? That was a very, very oh, good yes. hit indeed uh, for the first time opener. And it La Viuda Negra Buse. Yes, it was from Walter Buse. Um, here's what's going to happen this weekend. Crucero del Norte against Independiente is going to uh, be an Independiente win, obviously. Huracan against Sarmiento, I think is a Sarmiento win. Lanús against Vélez Sarsfield. I think Lanús are going to win it, but I think that you shouldn't bother watching that match, because it's going to be hideous. Estudiantes against Quilmes, as we already said, is going to be a very good game, and I think Quilmes are going to edge it for me. They're just in slightly better form but both sides are in very good form San Martin against Belgrano is a Belgrano win Colón against Arsenal de Sarandí I think is an Arsenal win without Colón scoring a goal Atletico de Rafaela against Godoy Cruz is a draw Nueva Chicago against Newell's Old Boys is a draw um, Olimpo versus San Lorenzo is a San Lorenzo win but not an easy one Rosario Central against Argentinos Juniors is a Central victory. River, by the way, are really under the cosh at the moment, away to defensa. Tigre against Banfield uh, is a draw. Racing against Boca, I apologise, Fran, but I'm going for a draw in that one. River against Andosivi, I have not yet predicted because I'm waiting until after this match, but let's say a River Plate win. Uh, Defensa Justicia versus Union, likewise, I've not written yet, um, but I'll go for a draw in that one. Tempele against Gimnasia y Prima La Plata, the final match of the weekend, at least of the ones that I have uh, written out, is a Gimnasia win. Anyone have any arguments with those? No, I reckon a draw is the most likely result in Sunday. Maybe you would have like to go for a win. Might. Yeah. Against Sarmiento. Mm-hmm. Thing is, you never know with Uruguay. Quite they play fantastically or play absolutely dreadfully. Yeah, that's this. It's impossible to try to, to um, try to predict them particularly weak in advance. It's an absolute bugger of a job, I can assure you. Um, what does their formula look like? Just win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Well, let's draw. have a look. I've feeling they've got a fair few draws recently. Yeah, they have got a fair few draws recently, but for a long time it was well. Let's just go through all 27 of their matches so far, in order. Loss, loss, victory, loss, draw, loss, victory, loss, 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 draw, loss, draw, win. Draw, draw, loss, win, draw, loss. Draw, 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 win, draw, draw, loss. So, by and large, far more um, losses and draws than than wins. But apart from that... 
trying to work out precisely what they're going to do. And also, they have a habit of going like six or seven matches without a win, and then and really, also winning really in cup competitions as well. Exactly, yeah. And then suddenly coming out and playing blindingly for sixty minutes and doing enough to get a win, which is infuriating. Um, thank you very much, dear listeners, for listening to us and putting up with us for another week. Thank you very much indeed to the Argentina Independent for providing our alcohol. The Argentina Independent are a fine source of English language news, current affairs, cultural bits and pieces, and other similar things. Nothing goal for defence was DC, as I was saying this. Uh, What's happening with No, they're not. They're disallowed. Um, and you should read them free of charge on the Argentina... Sorry, the Argentina Independent. No, argentinaindependent.com. Or follow them on Twitter at Argentina Indy, Argentina I-N-D-Y. We thank them very much for the Fernet. Uh, not so much for the, the beer that Fran and Dan are passing around at the moment, because Fran bought that himself. Um, for now, please join us again next week, and when we'll be previewing another weekend without football, because it's the the, the election short. Well, I guess we can preview the Copa Argentina semi-finals, can't we? We're not going to preview the elections? Uh, no, we'll leave that for... Um, I'm trying to think of what would be a suitable handoff something for, for an electoral. Would um, there be there's any? There's not a Scioli joke there. There's definitely not a Scioli joke there. Would there no. be an Argentine political news no. podcast? Bad man, Daniel. Probably not. Well, there's the, 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 there, is, there, there are one or two. The bubble have got one. The, the main yeah. one belongs, as Dan has just hinted, to uh, the people who are our, the main rivals of our sponsors. So although we love both of them equally, uh, we're not going to mention them by name, except that Dan just did. So Beep them out later. They're not so much rivals, I don't think. I could, well, they're not, nah. but they are. Uh, Apples and oranges. They're, they're rivals for the affections of Handapod and uh, for the rights to pay for Affernet, and uh, they lost out. So tough luck. But yes, you should listen to them if you know what we're talking about. Um, thank you very much indeed to uh, and from Fran. Uh, pleasure to be here as always. Pleasure to have you. Thank you very much to Dan. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you to Andres. A pleasure as, all, as always. And thank you from me. Thank you and goodbye. I'm back, as promised, to tell you what the result of the Defensa y Justicia against River game was. Uh, Defensa y Justicia won 1-0, which means that they are safe. They're staying up in the first division for another six months, maybe a year, depending on whether next year's championship ends up being next year's championship or just a half-year championship. But anyway, Defensa y Justicia is safe for another campaign, so congratulations to them.